vigorously against that. I, I threatened, I, for my first three months in the church, I threatened every guy who said he loved me. I said, I'll knock your teeth out you say that again. They're like, you're a funny boy. You know, I was 18 years old. I was 110 pounds. Well, you know, messed up. And uh, I remember the day that I realized the love of God towards me. And uh, I was sitting in the woods, running to pack my bags and leave this crazy church. But people love you. It's so weird. I love you. Dude, I'll knock you out. I care if you're a giant. You know, I just didn't care. And I was crying in the woods. I was tired. And, you know, I, I can run. Back then, I could run 10 miles at the drop of a hat, but I couldn't make 200 yards. I was sitting on a rock, on a rock, crying in the woods. And God just said, like, clear as a bell. I'm trying to love you, and you won't let me. The song was amazing, that it comes in like a flood, and that's how the love of God is. And um, on that day, I said that I'll serve you till I die. And I, I believe that the job of a Christian is to disciple other people to be Christians. That's your job. It's one of the manifested calls of God in the Bible, to declare to be part of your life. You come out from among them. You don't stand in the crowd. You come out from among them and God speaks to you. And somebody says to me, well, how do you know God's speaking to you? Because I don't have good thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people. I could be a hermit and be happy with killing things with a slingshot. <laughs> but God puts it in you to love the unlovely and you realize that your life is only going to be equated in the throne room of God by the, by the measure in which God has taken a hold of who you are. It's not how much of God that I possess, but how much God possesses me. Right? And I am not, I am not the worker. I am only a vessel. And if I live my life apart from God, then I am a vessel, let's say, of dishonor. But God is in the business. The word saint means means set apart. But it, it's talking about a building or a jar or a thing that possess, that is filled with another thing. Hmm. So if I had a building with bacon, which I love, it would be my saint of bacon. And if I had pizza, and this one would be my saint of pizza. And we are, we are a vessel from God. And we are saints. And our job as believers is to bring other people into sainthood. I want to fill you up with so much Jesus that when you open your eyes, you blind the people around you. That's, that's I mean, if I could. I'd love to make a little laser beam face out of you. But um, I realized um, my problem as a kid was that I lacked love. Nobody around me showing me the love of God. I remember being like your age and thinking, God hates me. Nine, 10, 11 years old, God hates me. I, was, I used to draw God as a black cloud and lightning bolts. And as soon as I was ready, you know, in my house, you only had a Bible to put your hand on, to swear that you were telling the truth. <laughs> and you were lying anyways. <laughs> Save your life. <laughs> I, have eight, I have eight brothers and sisters. Lines, no, not these guys got a couple ago. <laughs> Maybe not, but I'm just saying. And, and uh, yeah, it was the only reason we had the Bible in the house. And when I realized that the Bible had 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 living words, I I thought the little drummer boy was in there. <laughs> when I found out the little drummer boy wasn't there, I was studying in you know I'm in Bible college, right? Top bunk, I had the top bunk. And uh, my, the guy that was in the bottom bunk, Malcolm Smith, is a runner. And anytime I rolled over, I'd see his hand come up like this. Aww. He didn't want me to fall out of the bed. And I was like a little kid, you know, I was like this tall and, all right, a little taller, a little smaller. <laughs> than now, but I was like half the person I am now. And uh, why are you laughing? That's not that funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
And I was really upset, visibly upset apparently, because he asked me, what's wrong? I said, I'm looking everywhere and I can't find it. He goes, what? I said, don't look drumming for it. And he had a pause. <laughs> you know when your kids ask you a question and you're not sure how to answer them, you give them a pause. Kids, you know how it is when you ask your parents a question and like a little silence, they call it these days the awkward silence. You're like, it's not in there, Marty. <laughs> My world was crumbling. <laughs> he said, why are you so upset? I said, because if there's no little drummer boy, I have nothing to offer. Because as a new believer in the light of the holiness of God, you are humble. Because that's what humility is. It's not putting on a sad face and acting depressed. It's seeing who you are in the light of who God is and what he has done for you. And when I realized who I was in the light of holiness and, and what he has done for me, I realized I have nothing for him. And Malcolm told me, um, I, I believe God will fill you with his love. And when you're filled with his life, then you have everything Amen. and lack nothing. Amen. The sentences that come out of your mouth can change the course and destiny of a person's life. Mm. That's ridiculous. The type of power that God has put inside you by truth. You speak and it's like the universe is being created by the words that come out of your mouth like God did by speaking the, the universe in, into existence. Grace and mercy have enabled God to love me. And Christ took the penalty to allow God judicially to love me. And then the filling of the Holy Spirit made me respond to those things. The world is loved by God. Debt has been paid. But they cannot receive that without a voice, without a shepherd. God has given shepherds after his own heart. I go to camp every year. The first time I went to camp, I was, I was a luggage truck. He said, hey, you want to go with us? We're going up there to bring the luggage to Camp Life. I said, what's a Camp Life? I didn't know. I was working in the kitchen seven meals a day, seven hours, seven days a week, three days a day. Pastor Chris took my job when I left. And uh, I didn't know anything except... Uh, Dishes, Bible school, soccer, and soul winning. That was my whole life. And going out really late at night and hunting things with my slingshot. <laughs> That's all I knew. And um, it was an amazing life. An amazing life. But to uh, to take that luggage up there, we, it was a long trip. It was up. It was like a long trip. I think it was up in Maine or someplace like that. It was far away. And when, I, when we got there, it was morning, kids were running around, and I saw it, and I was like in shock. I had the shock and awe. I want to come here. And, and from that time on, I never missed it. We went on the mission field and had no money left, basically. And I said, honey, she goes, yeah, yeah, you can go. I fly back to America and go to Camp What? Pray that God gives something, you know, supernatural. So, uh, yeah, I don't miss camp. And I don't miss camp because it's filled with me. It's just like me. And it's just like you. Who need to be filled by God. And I, I feel like, uh, like you should feel. Like you're a pastor after God's own heart. I told Austin one time. I said, if God told you the plan he has for your life and what you're going to do, you may run away. <laughs> Because it may seem overwhelming. Because you may feel like you have to do it. But that's not the point. The, the idea is that God gives you a calling and then he performs it. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. And I've been, you know, I was voted by my friends the most likely not to make 20 years old. I just didn't, I thought 20 was so far away. I was in high school. That, that's a joke, 20 years old. Imagine 2000, I'll be 40. My friends were like, yeah, you'll make it. But um, I was also told I couldn't learn a language. I wasn't allowed to take language in high school. There's no foreign languages. I learned three. 
kind of. <laughs> they said I sounded like, like I, like I had some serious problems. But they understood. <laughs> uh, I remember going back to my school and saying, you know, I just came back from Finland, going to visit. Say I was in Finland. They said Finland. Or, you know, I've been around the world, and, and I never thought I'd get off food stamps. So don't look at your current situation, whatever it is, and put limitations on the creator of the universe who has called you and also will do it. And when you look in the mirror, you can't look at the mirror and say, that's who I am. Because who God sees you as is a finished work. You have no idea what God is doing. God sees you and says, says you are my bride. And how could the bride not be awesome and wonderful? And I think, uh, I think it's a growth, you know, we're growing. And um, remember, I had a friend who used to say, good morning and the love of God to you. That's what he used to say to his face every day when he looked in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Good morning and the love of God to you. And I, and I said, that's funny. I want to do that. But think of this, that you're, you're the apple of God's eye. But that doesn't diminish the fact that so aren't you. Because God is God and he's infinite. And he can love you infinitely as much as he loves the next person without any lack. He's got a call on your life. And if you know that, then you've been called to show somebody else how they've been called. Right? So I, I, love, I love the visit. That, you know, I love what I'm doing. I don't regret my life. I don't, I don't regret the lack. And I certainly don't regret the opulent love that God has put on me. God has loved me with such extravagance that um, how could you not be happy with what he's doing? In Jesus' name. Amen. that Moses was a man that was confused about his identity. He did not know who he was. He was confused about his race. He was confused about his ethnic identity. He was unsure, I shouldn't say confused, but he was unsure about where he was placed in the plan of God. And that he initially, in Exodus chapter 2, he had a sense of the call of God, but he did it in the energy of the flesh. And he wound up killing somebody. And then later on, he just runs for his life because he's messed up his, his life. He's now disillusioned. And he runs for his life. For several days, he finds himself out by, uh, not far from Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And he sits down, and he sits down by a well, and he begins to process everything that had just happened. And let's just pray. Lord, we ask you to bless this short message in Jesus' precious name. We thank you for the kids. Lord, bless them as they go. 
and speak to them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Moses here is sitting by the well, and I, I just love the what the well represents in the Bible. The well represents many times Jesus met a woman by the well. We see that Abraham uh, and Isaac, wells were important to them. A well is a place in our life where we just sit down at the end of a lot of things happening, and we sit down and we begin to process. It's a place where we start thinking about the big questions in our life. We start digging deep. And that's what a well is. It's a deep place. There's water down there. And Moses is there, and he's trying to figure out everything that just happened. Seven daughters, seven beautiful women come. They're daughters of Jethro. And they're pulling water out of the well. He rescues them from some marauding shepherds. They invite him to their house. Jethro, he meets Jethro, who is actually called uh, Ruel, which means friend of God. And he's a priest of Midian. He's a descendant of Midian. Uh, just a random group of people that were uh, descendants of Abraham through a concubine. And so he meets them, and Jethro begins, uh, becomes his father-in-law, and he's also a priest. He's a worshiper of, and I'm going just quickly over the review from last week, he's a worshiper of the Semitic god El, who is God. And he's a Gentile, and a, a part Gentile, and he is, he's worshiping God. He meets Moses, begins, Moses begins to pour into his life, Moses is for 40 years in this desert, and he is, he is just repeating the last sentence that he had heard from his home. Who are you? Who, who are you that you are a prince over us? Who are you? And that's really the last words that he hears that we see recorded from his home. And he leaves, and he's for 40 years, he's just processing this, who am I? And this sentence in his mind is bouncing around in his head, who am I that I would think that I could be a deliverer or a prince. Now, I want us to look at chapter 3 and verse 10. We see that God meets him at a burning bush. So he goes from the well to the bush. And I think there are two signposts in Moses' calling, in his journey to discover his calling. That well, that place of deep searching, soul searching, that time where we're asking ourselves the big questions, and then that moment when God speaks to him from the burning bush, which is a representation of of a man that's on fire for God, but is not being burnt out. He is a spirit-filled man. He's a man that has a calling in his life, and then he is now uh, seeing uh, who he could be in the call of God. In verse 10, we read this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, and I'm reading from the uh, ESV. And God speaks to Moses. And so Moses here, before God speaks to him, he is thinking about his calling, uh, about who he is, about what his mission is going to be for God. And then Moses hears God speak to him in verse 10. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I like that word, come. Come. It's always, that is always the invitational of a hospitable, welcoming God that says, Come into my circle. Come. Jesus said this <coughs> to his disciples <coughs> when he first called them. He said, Come and see. Come and follow me, and I will make you. Matthew chapter 4, I will make you. When we think about our calling, when we think about our mission, when we think about what God wants to do in our life, the question is not first, what do I do for God? It's first to come. That is the primary call of God in your life, to draw near to God. It is not to do something for God. It's not to be something for God. It is to come. He says, come, and I will send you, verse 10, I will, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But, but Moses, in verse 11, said to God, and like the word but, it means, God, let me interrupt your conversation here. Let me interrupt what you're saying. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's like, who am I? And this is a good thing and a bad thing. Moses, for 40 years, had been in the school of Midian in the desert, the school of humility, the school of brokenness, 40 years. I think sometimes when we look at people, we're like, wow, it's like, they're gone. They're not going to follow God. They were coming to church for a while, but now, you know, they were believing God for a while, but now, no, they're gone. They're not in the picture. And we forget that sometimes God's plan is what he's like. It can be 40 years long. It can be 40 years. And so Moses here is saying, but who am I? Moses has come to a place where he distrusts his heart, where he distrusts his own self. He is not so confident in himself. The son of Pharaoh has now become a shepherd in the desert. Wow, what an amazing process. 
And so Moses is like, who am I? And I think that there are times when we hear the call of God, we hear what God is speaking to us, and we say, who am I? Someone maybe suggests something, proposes something to you, and you're just like, you know, who am I? I can't do that. I can't do that. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? We just see that he has no more self-confidence. In Philippians 3, verse 3, he has no confidence left in his flesh. And I think that that could take 40 years in a person's life. It may take, in our lives, many years before we lose our confidence in certain areas of our flesh. And he said, and he said, and then this is what it says in verse 12, God said, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. I like this. But I will be with you. It's kind of like a perpendicular intersection. When you're driving down the road at your, at your own speed, in your own direction, and then you hit a perpendicular, you hit a, an intersection where there's only, you can go either left or right, but this intersection was really only a perpendicular intersection that had a one-way sign. You're going right. Moses is going in a continuum of his thinking, who am I? And he's 40 years, he's tending these sheep, he's got a family, he's got a son named Gershom, which means I'm a stranger in a strange land. And he's on this continuum of who am I, who am I, who am I? I've blown it. I could never be used by God. He's living in this direction and this speed. And then suddenly God intersects in his life with a one-way sign saying, you're not going in that continuum anymore. You're, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about Moses. God was saying, Moses, it's not about you. It's not about him, who, how inadequate you are. Moses approaches this, this intersection and he sees the sign. God says, he says, I will be with you. It's like coming to that intersection and there's traffic moving in one way going right and there's a speed that there is a flow going. And Moses, has got a, he's got only one way to go, turn right and go with the flow. And so God begins to speak to him and he says, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I think that as a mission of a church, our mission, whatever we do, whatever we do in our life, our mission is to do one thing, is to bring people to that mountain of God. Why was this mountain so important? Because this mountain was where God met Moses. God has met you and I in certain places of our life. There have been moments where we've had our Mount Sinai moment with God. We have that, that burning bush experience God speaks to Moses and he says to Moses, just as I've spoken to you and I've revealed myself to you, I'm going to have you bring these people to this mountain. And this is the ecclesia. This is the church being called out. I'm just speaking really short this morning and I want to just hit a few points and I want to just wrap it up about right here is that when we think about our calling, when we think about our own inadequacy, the answer of God is always this. He intersects our life with a perpendicular flow in another direction, a right turn, and he says, because it's no longer about you and your unworthiness. It's not about your sin and all your mistakes. It's not about how inadequate you are. You've learned that very well, but now it's about me. I will be with you. God introduces a new name here that Moses did not know before. It's always been El Shaddai, the God of the Father, but now he says, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, he says, I'm going to reveal an aspect of my name to you that has not been yet revealed, Yahweh. The, God, the fathers knew about it before, but they didn't know what that name meant. But now they are learning what that name means. And that means, Yahweh means the sending God. El Shaddai, I did some digging here, and it was so rich. I love the Old Testament, because when you dig, you just find more and more treasures. El Shaddai means, one of the meanings is God of the mountain. Beautiful. It's the God of it's the it's the all powerful God, the God that rules the mountain. That's what one translator says. Yahweh, another meaning for Yahweh can be the sending God or the, the providing God or the God that acts. This is the last point I want to make this morning. Is that God has not spoken to Israel to 
of the Hebrews. God has not spoken to, spoken to the Hebrews for 400 years. Imagine that. A 400 year break in the communication of God to his people. These people are going through some separation anxiety. They're at a point where they're just broken. And there's just incredible big emotions coming out of Israel at that moment. My wife and I were at a adoption training center, uh, training session yesterday. We are just preparing for adoption. It's really a, a kind of a faith walk. We don't know what's going to happen. Any day we could get a phone call and we could have a kid in our house for the next the end of the day. It's crazy. I just, it's such a faith step. And I don't know what's going to happen. So we're just, once a year we have these trainings we have to go to be prepared as parents. And I'm sitting there in the learning curve. Have you ever been at the bottom of the learning curve? You're just like, you know, you're wondering when it's going to start going like this. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're right, like right there. You know, I can't move any farther. And I'm just sitting listening to these, this amazing woman, Tony. She was just sharing from First Baptist that she was talking about the adoption challenges and things. And, and she told about this experiment. Experiment, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. That I didn't get that if this is a good practice to do with a baby or not. But when a, when you adopt a baby, even at a very very young age, that baby already has a lot of uh, set formations in their soul. Uh, there are neurons that you know and synapse connections that are formed because of firing that's already happened from day one, from day one that the baby is born, and. And when you adopt a baby and you are bonding and connecting with this baby, uh, it's not just enough to connect. There has to be a disconnect from previous harmful pathways of, of perception and reaction. And so there was this experiment that she was talking about that imagine the mom sitting there with the baby in the high chair and there's cooing going on, there is just connection happening, there is smiles, and the baby is, you know, eye contact with the baby, and the baby is responding, and, and the hands go up, the baby is just like responding, and then suddenly, the mom turns away for a second, and tell me, tell me if you've heard this, and she turns around with a still face, expressionless, and just stares at the baby. It sounds so cruel, doesn't it? And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And the baby is just kind of trying to reorient it to connecting with the mom. And it's just a still face for a moment. And then the baby has like, so the baby tries to be cute to get a reaction from the mom. No reaction, just a still face. And this is going on for a couple of minutes. And the baby is starting to wonder. And then what happens is that the baby begins to cry from the depths of its little soul. Because it is now, it has been so interrupted and it has been so, um, so uh, is so insecure that the very depths of the baby's uh, anxiety and just the depth, the depth problems of the of the child's soul comes out and begins to cry. And then at that moment, the mom reconnects with the child with with love and and, and, and care and nurturing and and cooing and all this. And then and at that moment, she was saying that that baby's connection with the mother that was connecting at a very shallow level changes to something very deep and very meaningful with the mom. It's a reconnecting. Does that make sense? And this is what God was doing with Israel. I was thinking about this, is that God had a still face for 400 years. And God can do that with you and I. He could just be quiet for a long time. We're like, and this causes a lot of big emotions, a lot of deep emotions, and the very depths of us come out. And like David said, my whole soul has poured out before me. And God does this sometimes in our life. He is silent. In those silent years, when we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we know that we're praying, we're not living in sin, and, and we're going to God, and there's that still face. And then a lot of deep emotions start coming out that were down there since we were, since we were infants. They're saying that, I heard yesterday a statistic that, that within the third trimester, right, the third trimester of, of pregnancy, that the baby is already forming its belief system. That's incredible. God here is breaking the improper connections that the Hebrews had with him 400 years, and now God is sending Moses. Why does God send one man? I always wondered, why can't God just reveal himself to everybody, and then everybody would believe? Why couldn't God just say, appear to the entire world on Fox News or something, CNN on 24, you know, on 24-7 cable news, and he would reveal himself to the whole world? 
Why does he just send one man who's, who's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years and then 80 years later, you know? Because there's something about a man or a woman that has met Jesus Christ, that has met God. There's something so persuasive about that person. There's so, something so undeniable about Paul on the road to Damascus who met Jesus and plants churches all over the world and writes a third of the, over a third of the New Testament. There's something about a man who has met God. And this is the point I want to make today, is that Moses met the great I Am. He met God in person. He met God. 500 people witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is something more persuasive and more powerful with you who have met God in your life than if God reveals himself to your entire family and to everybody in your workplace. Because a man that's on fire is more persuasive and more powerful than if God revealed himself to the whole world. If God revealed himself to the whole world in a simultaneous moment, there'd be no conviction and no persuasion about that. There would be no incredible uh, dramatic change. There'd be no incredible dramatic testimony. God just needs one man, one woman, that has met God at a mountain and that has been sent by him to go into a place that he doesn't want to go. God saves us, he heals us, and then he sends us to places we don't want to go because he's got a plan there. I want to finish up with that. Is that I want to ask us, have you met God at your Mount Sinai? Have you met God at the burning bush? I have. I asked myself that question I was driving here this morning. I said, have I met God at a burning bush? And I, I could say, yes, I have. I met the sending God. I've met him. I've met him in, in, in just in a, in as a teenager when I was 17 years old on a mission field in Sweden watching watching God move in people's lives. And God said, I'm sending you. And I just want to ask you that question. That's okay. I'm not talking about an experience or some kind of feeling. I'm just saying, have you been in a place for your life where you had a will and you're thinking some deep thoughts, some big thoughts, and then you meet Jethro, the priest of Medium, which is Jesus Christ, and then God calls you at a burning bush. Does that happen to you? I want to say, draw near to God. Listen to him say, come, I'm going to send you. Come, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. Listen to him say that. I don't know where we're at in a lot of our lives, but some of you I just am still, I'm still getting to know. Maybe you're discouraged about your future. Maybe you're, you're, just, you're afraid of your future, like Marty said. Maybe you're just so disqualified. Maybe you're in a place that you don't even feel like you belong and you're wondering why you're, why you're in that place. I just want to say that God meets us where we're at. And he says, I'm going to break everything up. I'm going to unravel you. We like that unraveling process. We do not like it. When we are just unravels on the floor before God, and we are just a mess. And that happens. People that you and I meet, people that are around us, we're going to see them go through a mess in their life. And they're going to be embarrassed. Some of us may be in this room. Maybe God unravels us, and we're going to be embarrassed in front of people. We're going to be like, oh my gosh. Everything that was in the bottom of my soul just came out in that conversation. God is unraveling us. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to rebuild us. And he wants to reconnect us. And he wants to make us a brand new creation. He's done it positionally. Now he wants to do it experientially in our life. Let grace have its perfect work. Let patience have its perfect work. And when you're unraveled, it's okay. Like David said in Psalm 23, I lay down in green pastures. And you know what? If you can't run, and if you can't walk, and if you can't stand, just do Psalm 23. Just lay down in green pastures and just let God grace you out because he's with us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, if we come to you, God, the God of sending, or you have sent us, or you have sent us in a new direction, God. You have interrupted our continuum of self-occupation, self-discouragement, self-depression, self-exaltation. You have interrupted us from our self-awareness, self Lord, self-exaltation. Lord, you have interrupted our continuum that we thought would be living, we'd be living for the rest of our lives. We've come to a perpendicular place in our lives where God is saying, I am with you, but I am with you. 
And God, we thank you for that divine interruption, that divine intervention in our life. Lord, where you are, you are catching us up to speed in your new direction. Lord, you're sending us to those places that we don't want to go. Moses ran for his life from, from the Pharaoh Amenhotep the second in 1450 BC. And now he's on his way back to a different Pharaoh. You send us back to those places that we would not prefer to go to. But you say, I'm with you. Fear not, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to reveal an aspect of my name to the people of God that they had not yet known. Jehovah, the provider. Jehovah, the healer. And all the names of Jehovah. And we're here this morning. Many of us are in different places in our life. God, we just want to present ourselves to you at that burning bush, as we heard as we sang this morning at the cross. We want to surrender ourselves, Lord, to you, the ascending God, the present God, the God who acts. <clears throat> because there are people today that are in bondage, that are in chains, that are crying out to God. You may think, well, I'm just, I've got my job, i got my thing, i got my family, i got my gig. My stuff and doing, I got my bills to pay. The Lord is saying, I want to I send you. I want to send you back home to a place where I want you to pour out. I want to send you to a new place. I want to send, send you to a place of victory. Maybe that you're not experiencing. God, you're present today. We praise you. We thank you. Let's stand together. Let's just praise the Lord. Just maybe pour out your heart to the Lord. Maybe there's something.
things like melancholy to be looked at at others as our spirituality. Or we're struggling through something and we talk about the struggle when we're really just not being faithful. And the Lord looks at our hearts and that's what he's asking us to do is to examine our hearts. And say, Lord, am I being faithful? Um, you know, Christian said something a minute ago, so we may not know exactly what we were called for, but there's one thing we all know that we were called for if we read the scriptures. It says, Be ye holy as I am holy. So he's called us into holiness. And so sometimes we might not know exactly, you know, where am I supposed to be working or living or what am I supposed to be doing today, okay? But if we're not approaching the Lord with a heart desiring to be holy that he's not going to reveal those other things to us anyway we have to start there so not to, to speak condemnation on any of us but to encourage us to each let's examine our hearts <clears throat> you 
And then sometimes also in that examination, we may feel like, and Lord, I am doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, and and uh, I still got these negative thoughts or feelings, you know. Uh, for myself, I've, I've been, I'm out of work. I'm looking for the Lord to show me. And so some, like even this morning, I, I woke up and I was like, Lord, I, I think I'm doing everything I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, you can have those little voices in your head like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we have to come to peace with, Lord, I'm doing what you asked me to do. If I'm not doing something, I need you to show me. And if we do that, God will honor that request. He will show us. He will. I'm going to pray, and, and then you just take the elements uh, as, as you're comfortable. You know. um, and uh, let's do this unto the Lord. Sometimes when we pray and we don't realize what a privilege it is to come before your presence and speak to you. Lord, you've given us this vehicle of prayer and this opportunity to exercise it whenever. We can talk to you and we can seek your, your guidance and your will for our lives. Lord, I think so many times we just get caught up in everything else and we don't always really spend enough time. Lord, I just say for myself, and I, and I believe my fellow Christian brothers and sisters here would echo that we love you and that we do desire to be holy as you call us to be holy. So we take these symbols of your body and your blood and we take them in awe that you would have sent your son, Heavenly Father, to to take our place plates going around. I'm just going to give a couple of announcements. Thanks, folks, for being here today. Uh, sort of a special time, wasn't it? That really sense the presence of God here with us. Um, for those that would like, there's going to be a barbecue, right? And I, are we inviting everyone? Everyone, the entire city of Spring is coming to this barbecue. And believe me, there's enough space in the, in the lion's backyard for, for many people. So just come. Um, and when you do want to do that, what time is that, sir? Uh, pretty much right now. Okay. So as soon as we're done here, we can just head right over. If you don't know the address, uh, do we need to post the address? Yeah, we need to post that. Okay. Who doesn't know where they live? Just raise your hand. Uh, just, okay. See, see Sean or Nicola. They'll give you the address. So what is the address? It's 5418 
Harvest Oak Drive. Landing Drive. Harvest Oak Landing Drive. Uh, Spring 77386. Okay? And I think Wes is putting that up there right now. Uh, so uh, we're going to have a baptism October 7th. Uh, it's going to be, I think it right now, it looks like it's going to be at Self's house. We're going to have a B&B, a barbecue, and a baptism. It's going to be fun. So we're just going to have a baptism, and then we're just going to have some good old Texan. Marty said to me, since I've been here, I've been eating. And so, yeah, I said, welcome to Texas. Gaining 25 pounds like I did. And uh, so we're going to have that October 7th. Uh, just we'll, we'll, be, we'll be emailing you the details. If you know someone that has received Christ and hasn't been baptized or would like to receive Christ and then be baptized, we're up for that. And let's just have some baptisms, amen? So we're going to do that at the pool with uh, Tony and, and uh, Daphne Self. And then uh, lastly, uh, remember we have um, Pastor Chevelli coming November 11th and 12th. It's going to be a missions conference here. We have a lot of guests from outside of our church come. A lot of people want to come. They've, been, they've heard about this. Uh, bring Christians that you know that maybe are in other churches that would like to hear about missions and missions opportunities abroad and here. It's going to be a great time. Okay? Amen. Anything else that I've missed as far as announcements? Going once? Okay. Good enough. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for our guests. For those that were not here, we pray for them, Lord, as well. I just want to remember Amina and Tamara's family, Lord. Lord, for comfort as they grieve the loss of family members. We thank you for the joy of our salvation and the peace that we have in Christ about our eternity. Bless our guests as they go home, Dr. Wanda and Jeff, Lord, we thank you for their presence here with us. In Jesus' precious name, dismiss us in the blessing of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.